time that I want, but I've also been raised in Pentecost my whole life, and I know how hard it is to preach when food is on the other end. So, if you have the word, we're going to go to Genesis chapter number 50, starting in verse 20. Genesis 50 and 20. And then we are also going to go to a very familiar scripture, Romans 8, 28. Genesis 50 and 20, Romans 8, 28. The Bible says in Genesis 50 and 20, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Romans 8 and 28, very familiar scripture. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This morning I want to preach on there is a purpose for the pain. Can we pray in the house? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the service this morning, God. What a wonderful spirit we have in this place. I'm thankful, God, for every song that's been sung, God, testimonies that's been given. God, you are in the house, Lord. I pray that you save, you heal, deliver, set free. Do what only you can do in this place. Anoint this sermon to bring forth, Lord, and we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful to be in church, as Brother Gilpin was saying. Before I get too far into the word, I am thankful for the church. I am thankful for community. And you all are blessed here with wonderful community. Um, I said this at our camp meeting last week. At our Christian school we have in Germantown, we have, the Lord has blessed us tremendously. We have 230 students this year, and physically we just can't handle, we can't take anymore. There's nowhere to put them. Um, we have many on waiting lists, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thankful for all that. I'm exhausted, and I have a lot of gray hair that's slowly coming in because of that. But I'm thankful for it. But the most thing I'm thankful for is the fact that we have 50 churches, over 50 churches represented in our school. And if you are anywhere familiar with the area that we are from, the Miami Valley area, there is, and it's kind of like London, there is a Pentecostal church on every corner of the road, it feels like. Just on Route 4, where our church and our school is, there are five or six Pentecostal churches just on that strip, about a mile distance from each other that don't fellowship with one another because they wear short sleeves and they wear long sleeves or because they believe in this and they believe in that. And we have all this, these churches right here that won't fellowship with one another because of crazy reasons. But our school, somehow, by the grace of God, has brought a community of all these churches who sadly won't ever actually come to our church to visit, but they'll send their kids there. They have all these students coming together. And in chapel service, we have a group of young people who don't care that so-and-so goes down the road and that so-and-so goes over here. Who don't care who their mom and their dad is, who their pastor is. But we have a group of young people who come together in chapel and have revival every Wednesday afternoon. It is a glimpse of heaven every Wednesday, and I wish I could show you all. It's a glimpse of heaven because you have 60 to 70 children 
who come from different churches, they all worship different. I mean, we will have service, and I got up last year and I told them I loose because I could feel the power of God in the place. And people wanted to worship how they wanted to worship, but they were hesitant. I got up and I said, I loose you to worship the way you want to. And the power of God hit that place because we have, as I said, a lot of different people. We have head slingers. We have people that run. We have kids that roll on the floor. We have kids that dance. We have kids that turn into a tornado. We have kids that go into convulsions. That's what they do at their church. And we have kids that just stand there and weep and cry. We have kids that just jump up and down. And that day I loose them to worship. In spirit and in truth, you worship how you want to worship. Because it's all okay. And the power of God hit that place. And they, there was hair flying. People were jumping up and down. People were running. People just fell to the ground and just cried. And it was a little glimpse of heaven. Why? Because it was a community. Because we worship different. We come from different places. But we all serve the same God. And when we understand we need one another, we will have revival. When we understand I don't care that you go there and you go there, as long as our main belief, as long as we believe Jesus saves, as long as we believe there is only one way to heaven, as long as our main belief is the same, I don't care what you do, I don't care how, I don't care how you worship, I just want to go to heaven with you. And we have a group of young people in Germantown, Ohio. And what's great, Brother Jarvis, is when they are in the altar worshiping and praying for one another, and they're not going up and whispering, hey, are you post-trib or pre-trib? Hey, I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to stop. But they just lean over and say, do you want revival? I want revival. Let's have revival. And we need that in this generation. We need that in this generation. The generation before us, and I'm thankful for them, but they, they divided a lot of things. They, they brought down a line that says, okay, you don't do this. We're not talking to you. We're not fellowshipping with you. The enemy had a heyday with that because that's what he wanted. But now we have a group of young people that's rising up and saying, I know that I can live this way. And even if you don't 100% agree with it, we can still worship. We can still pray. We can still have revival together. Praise God. And be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that, that was free. Let's get into the word. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. I was in Peru a couple years ago with Brother Melvin Sanchez, and some of you may know him. He just preached our camp meeting, and he's been in our youth camp a couple times and we were in Peru, and we were just traveling to a church, and he began to tell me that he just got back from Africa last month. He began to tell me that while he was over in Africa, there was a church that they support over there that he went to minister to and visit. And he said he went and he shook the hands with the pastor and said, Pastor, how's it been going? And that pastor over in Africa, he said, Brother Sanchez, we have been in revival. 
He said God has been healing and moving and sending souls. It has just been an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. He said, but let's, let me tell you how this happened. He said, we were in service one time and God was moving. He said, a few months back, he said, God was moving. We were having a wonderful service. And he said, I got up to take up the offering. He said, and there was a woman in the church and she, she, her husband was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. But she came and she came up to me after service and she said, Pastor, I want to be able to give in the offering. But my husband, he keeps all the money. He won't let me bring anything for the church. He hates the church. And he won't let me do anything and bring any offering for the church. She said, but what I want to do is my husband owns a, a clothing company. What I want to do is I want to bring new clothes for you and your family. Can I do that as an offering to bless you and the church? So, so she got the sizes of the pastor and his wife and their children, and she went home and grabbed clothes for them and brought them back as an offering. And he was blessed and he was thankful. The next day, this happened on a Friday. Friday, the police knocked at the pastor's door. And they arrested that pastor and they said, it has been reported to us that you have stolen clothes from this man's company. And they went in the house, they found the clothes, they arrested him and took him to prison. The difference between Africa and here is here, you're, pro you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. There, you're guilty until proven innocent. So they brought him and they put him in prison and they said, you'll have to stay here over the weekend. The judge is not available to see you till Monday. So that pastor was in this prison that Friday night. And it's a little different over there than it is here. Here, you have your individual cells that you stay in. In Africa, where this pastor was at, it was a large area that they all stayed in together. So that pastor was in that prison with murderers and the worst of the worst that you can think of. And he said he went over to the corner of that prison and just knelt down and began to weep. He said, God... Why is this happening? We have been seeing a move of God. I have church Sunday that I'm not going to be able to attend. We serve for you. We live for you. We do everything we're supposed to do. Why is this happening in my life? He said, all of a sudden, a man, a young man came behind him and tapped him on the shoulder. He said, Pastor, is that you? Pastor got up and turned around, and it was a young man that used to attend his church, and he looked around and he said, Son, what are you doing here? He said, Well, Pastor, after, after I left the church a couple years ago, I got with the wrong people, got in the wrong things, and I ended up here. And the, the young man looked back, he said, the real question is, what are you doing here? And the pastor laughed and smiled and told him what happened. He said, that pastor told Brother Sanchez, he said, while I was telling him what happened, the power of God hit me. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to tell that boy that I still love him. That pastor looked at that young man. He said, son, the Holy Ghost just spoke to me and wanted me to tell you that he still loves you. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. He wants to redeem your soul. That young man began to weep and cry. He said, pastor, you don't understand what I've been in. You don't understand how I ended up here. He said, I don't care. The Holy Ghost told me he loves you and he wants to redeem you. He prayed that young man through to salvation and just a few minutes later he prayed him through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that young man was standing there speaking in tongues and weeping and crying. 
He told Brother Sanchez, he said, all of a sudden, the power of God began to move between us. And he said, he began to jump up and down, and he got really excited, and he said, the pastor looked at him and said, you need to calm down. People are going to think we're crazy. You need to calm down. But the more the pastor tried to calm him down, the louder and exuberant this young man became. He said, all of a sudden, there was about three or four people gathered around and said, what in the world is going on over here? He said, I thought to myself, I am in trouble now. He said, I looked at them young men and he said, I didn't know what else to do. He said, but I told him the story of Jesus. He said, I started from the beginning. I said, he was born of a virgin and he lived a holy life. He casted out devils. He raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the sick. He said they led him up Mount Calvary's hill. They whipped him and beat him and they put him on a cross and they put nails in his hands and he bled for you and me. And three days later, he rose again for your salvation. He said all of a sudden those men begin to weep and cry. And they looked at that pastor and they said, you mean somebody loves me enough to do that? He said at that moment, he began to pray those three men that were surrounding. He prayed them through to salvation. He said, and lo and behold, they prayed on through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, and now we had a little revival in the corner of this prison as these young men were lost in the spirit. He said, Brother Sanchez, this was Friday night. Saturday came around. He said, you wouldn't believe it, but these young men were so drunk. He said they had not spoken their native language all night long. They laid out in the Holy Ghost weeping and crying, speaking in an unknown tongue. He said before I knew it, word was getting around the prison what was going on. People began to talk what is happening, what's wrong with these men. He said I didn't know what else to do, but I grabbed a wooden crate I found. He said I put it in the middle of that prison. He said I stood on it. And I began to scream from the top of my lungs. He was born of a virgin. And he lived a holy life. He casted out devils. He raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind. They led him up Mount Calvary's hill. They nailed him to a cross. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And he bled and died for you and me. He said three days later, they rolled the stone away. And he was no longer there. He said, as he began to preach, he said, the power of God came on him. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, go all the way to the book of Acts. He said, he began to preach Acts chapter 2 to that prison in the middle of Africa. He said, there were 120 in an upper room and the power of God came. And he said, when he got to the Holy Ghost, he said, he felt a wind blow through that prison. He looked at Brother Sanchez and he said, you probably don't believe it and it's okay. Come to my church and you'll see what God is doing. He said he felt a wind blow through that place. And he said it was just like the day of Pentecost. He said as he saw men, I mean big and strong and burly, scary looking men fall and weep under the power of God. He saw them some fall out speaking in an unknown tongue. He said revival broke out in the prison in Africa. He said this was Saturday, Sunday came around, and he said there was still revival breaking out. He said nobody in the prison was in their right mind. They were all weeping and crying and speaking in an unknown tongue. He said the prison guards came to him on Sunday, and they pulled him to the side. And they said, what have you done to this prison? 
They said, this is the first time since I have worked here that I have not been called in every day because somebody has stabbed somebody or somebody has started a fight. He said, what have you done to these men? That pastor looked at them and he said, well, if you really want to know, he was born of a virgin and he lived a holy life. He casted out devils. He raised the dead. He opened the eyes of the blind and he healed the sick. They led him up Mount Calvary's hill and they nailed him to a cross and put a crown of thorns on his head and he bled and died for your sins and my sins that we may be born again. He said on the other side of that prison, then then prison guards fell to their knees and began to weep. And he said, we've never heard of such a man in our life. He said, now this time on Sunday, there was nobody in the prison in their right mind and nobody guarding the prison in their right mind. The revival had broke out in the prison in Africa. I want you all to know this morning that the simple story of Jesus Christ still changes everything. We don't need to educate it. We don't need to patty cake around it. We don't need to make it spurs it up. No, the simple story of he died and he rose again still changes every life. One drop of his blood still changes everything. I know it's not Easter, and I know that's when we preach his resurrection and his burial. But it's the only story. It's the only story that changes a drug addict into a redeemed child of God. It's the only story that changes an alcoholic. It's the only story that changes those that are depressed. It's the only story. Hallelujah. Monday came around, and they brought him out of the prison, and they took him before the judge. And the judge got all the facts straight and looked at this pastor and said, Pastor, we apologize. You were wrongly accused. You should have never been taken to prison. You have every right. You have every right to file charges against this man and his company. That should have never happened to you. That pastor looked back at that judge and said, No. I'm not going to file any charges. I'm not going to do anything because what the devil meant for evil, God turned it around for the good. And I've come this morning to tell somebody in the house, whatever the devil is doing in your life, just hold on and wait because God will turn it around for the good. Brother Jeremiah, how can you say that? Not by my word, but Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. I don't care what it is. I don't care how bad it is. All I do know is that he can turn it around. Hallelujah. Number one. Pain does not relieve us of our duty. I want you to hear that. Pain does not relieve us of our duty. Pain doesn't take the anointing away, and it doesn't take your assignment away either. Did you understand what I just said? Pain doesn't take your anointing away, and it doesn't take your assignment away either. I'm going to reiterate what I said last night. Sometimes you have to preach in your pain. Sometimes you have to sing in your pain. 
Sometimes you have to prophesy in your pain. Sometimes you have to encourage fellow brothers and sisters in your pain. Paul and Silas, the Bible says, were rent of their clothes. They were beat with whips. They were bound in stocks and chains. When you read the history, some scholars say that, that they were bound in these stocks and chains and they made it so it was the most uncomfortable position for them to be in and they threw them in prison. You have Paul and Silas who is beat, who is bleeding, who is in pain. But at midnight, at midnight they begin to sing. Now, I'm a visual learner. So when I read the Bible, I like to visualize what's happening. Whether it actually happened that way, I don't know. But this is how I visualize it happening. I can see Paul looking over at Silas. Now, I know the songs I'm about to sing were not wrote back in the Bible days, but they're still good, so we're going to do it anyways. I can see Paul looking over at Silas, bleeding, hurting, in pain. I can see him looking over and say, hey, hey, Silas, you want to sing? Well, no. Why would I want to sing? I'm in prison. I'm in pain. I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. I'm uncomfortable. Do you not know what just happened to us because we were singing and preaching? I see Paul look, yeah, let's sing. It was great, wasn't it? Let's sing. So I can see Paul looking at him and say, I, I already got one. I got a song. You ready? And I can see him like, well, I'm not going to stop you, so we might as well just sing. I can see Paul looking over and say, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. Then he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, a glorious day that's going to be. And I can see Silas getting a little excited and said, Whew, okay, okay, that's good, I can feel that. Let me add to it. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness no more pain, no departing over there. And forever I'm going to be with the one who died for me. What a day, a glorious day that's going to be. Woo! I'm about to run all over this place. I can see Paul looking back in silence and said, Woo, man, that is feeling good. I got another one, okay? You ready? He's like, yeah. Heaven will be worth a journey when I get there. Sam, I'm going to speed it up a little. Oh, that city, it'll be so wonderful, so bright and fair. When I see Jesus sitting on the throne, I'll be so glad for every time I made my soul press on. Heaven be worth a journey when I get there. I can see Silas getting all excited and the chains start shaking off. And he said, well, let me add to that one. 
Sometimes I get a little weary traveling this old road. I cry, Lord, won't you come and help me carry this heavy load? It's in the stillness of the night. He comes along and he makes my load so light. I know that heaven will be worth the journey when I get there. And I can see the chains start shaking. Can I do one more? And I can see Silas looking back and Paul like, man, something's about to rattle up in this place. They're looking back and forth as the power of God begins to shake. He said, I think I got another one. Now this one's really old, so we'll see. He said, man, won't it be wonderful there? Having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells a ringing. Silas, won't it be wonderful there? Glory to God. And I can see Brother Jarvis that as they begin to sing, and you got to know, church, they did it in their pain. As they begin to sing in their pain, as they begin to sing while they were bleeding, as they begin to sing while they were uncomfortable, as they begin to sing while their everything was going wrong, while they begin to sing at the darkest of night, while they begin to sing about the songs of heaven, as they begin to sing something begin to happen in the prison, the jail begin to shake, chains begin to fall. Let me tell you something this morning. I'm old school, and I say that to say this. I love every song wrote before the 2000s. Some even wrote before the 1900s. Every southern gospel song, my wife can't stand me for it sometimes. I love southern gospel. I love as I love the McCameys. I love the Happy Goodmans. I love the Singing Cooks. I love the Gaither Vocal Band. I love the Crap Family. I love it all. I like worship too. Don't get me wrong. I like the new stuff. And when we're going down the road on road trips, my wife hates it because when I'm in charge of the radio and I try to tell her I'm the man, I'm always in charge of the radio, but it don't work like that apparently. But when my phone's hooked up, we're going back in time. When her phone's hooked up, we're going to the 2023 genre. But I, I say that to say this. When everything goes wrong sometimes, Brother Jarvis, when I am in the lowest of low, when I have pain all around me, when I can't even sometimes sleep at night because my mind is so stressed and worry and anxiety and everything's going wrong and I don't know how this is going to happen or this. And when I go into my prayer closet and I don't have words to say, everything's gone wrong and I just don't have the words to put together. It's in those times I'm thankful for those old songs because I crawl into my closet with no words to say, I just sing. And I crawl in there and I sing, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The mountain's too high and that valley's too wide. 
but down on my knees is where I've learned to stand. And I can't even walk without you holding my hand. It's in those times that I don't have words. I don't know how to put into words how I need help. That I can crawl in and sing one of those old songs my grandma used to teach me. That my grandma used to sing to me on her lap. And I know, I don't know how it's going to turn around. I don't know when it's going to turn around. But I know somehow, some way, it's going to turn around. So, young people, I don't know what you listen to. But sometimes you need to roll back the curtain a little and get, because, Brother Gilpin, sometimes the only thing that keeps me going is a song in my spirit. Sometimes the only thing that keeps me fighting is a song deep down in my spirit. That's why I think in the Old Testament they said, why did you hang your harps on the willow trees? Why did you lose your song? Because when the enemy comes knocking and everything's going wrong and you question everything in your life, sometimes all you need is one song and you can keep going. Sometimes all you need is one song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, there's a purpose for the pain. There's a purpose for the pain. You have to go through the pain to have the power. How do you think Paul and Silas are going to preach now after they come out of the prison? How do you think they're going to sing now after being delivered from stocks and bonds and chains? How do you think the Hebrew boys are going to preach now after they come out of the fire? How do you think Daniel's going to pray now after he's seen the lion's mouth shut in front of their eyes? I promise you, once you see a fourth man in the fire, and once you see the lions kneel at your feet, you're going to sing, you're going to preach, you're going to pray a whole lot different than you did before. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. Can we just lift our hands in this house? I'm going to go on. I just feel the power of God in this place. Somebody in this house has lost their song and you need to get it back. Somebody in this house, the enemy has stolen your song and with that he's stolen your joy and he's stolen your peace. You need to get it back. Hear me, church. He can take everything from you if he wants, but don't you ever let him take your joy. Don't you ever let him take your joy. Why? It's the joy of my, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If he takes my joy, he's got my strength. And if he takes my strength, I'll be too weak to fight the enemy. So the enemy knows what he's doing. And for years and years, he has crept into the church and he has taken their joy. 
They don't worship like they used to. They don't dance like they used to. They don't shout like they used to. They don't praise God like they used to because he took their joy. Don't you let him have your joy. It was the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. When you have the joy of the Lord, it doesn't matter what comes your way. But if you have the joy inside your heart, you can still come here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday. Even if you just found out you got laid off from your job. When you got the joy of the Lord in you, you can still come in here and raise your hands and sing under the power of God. But if he takes your joy, you're in trouble. I remember growing up, my grandmother, we would have church. And before church even started, I remember they would dance down the aisle under the power of God. I remember when service was over, they would have to carry them out. I remember they would be in the parking lot sometimes, dancing in the gravel and in the streets. Because they had so much joy. There was so much joy. That's why people used to make fun of the Pentecostal church. Them holy roller bunch, them psychos, them crazy people. Because there was so much joy that we couldn't contain ourselves. We were so glad to be saved and so glad to be in the house of God. We were so joyful that we would roll in the floor and we would dance. And I mean, they would run the top of the pews. We were, had so much joy in our spirit. And the enemy hated it. So he crept in and he said, if I can take their joy, I'll let him still go to church. I'll let him still sing. I'll let him even still worship deadly. You'd be shocked the amount of churches, Brother Jarvis, that I preach at and I go to. Pentecostal churches that are dry as could be. No joy. No power. Because the enemy has taken people's song and joy. Hallelujah. 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 Hear me. Don't let him steal your joy. I don't care if you feel it going and you have to go in your bedroom when no one's around and act a fool and dance all over your room, run back and forth, roll on the ground. I don't care what you have to do. Don't let him take your joy. Don't let him take your joy. Hallelujah. Number two, we were designed to handle the hurt. We were designed to handle the hurt. Two men behind prison bars, the poem says, one saw mud, the other saw stars. There was a, an old story that I heard. There was this youth group, they were playing baseball out in the field. And there were there was some young people, like younger, younger ones, out in the outfield. And a preacher was walking by the baseball field one day, and he noticed they were playing a game. And he noticed one boy in the outfield that was just out of his mind. He looked like he was catching butterflies or picking at the grass. You can obviously tell he was bored. So he walked out to the outfield, and he said, hey, young man, what you doing? He said, oh, sir, we're playing baseball. 
I said, oh, really, what's the score? He said, it's 17 to 0. He said, well, that's awesome. Are you winning? He said, no, sir. I said, oh, okay. Well, that's good. He said, well, yes, sir. The difference is this. He said, it's 17 to 0, yeah. He said, but it's still the first inning, and we haven't got up to bat yet. And that preacher just laughed and smiled at him and moved on. But the point of it is this. A lot of times in our life, it feels like spiritually the enemy is winning 17 to 0. This is going wrong and this is going wrong. And if you've, and I know everybody in here will understand what I'm saying. It feels like sometimes when one thing happens, everything happens. It's like the old saying, if you, your washer goes out, then your car's going to go out, then your dryer's going to go out, then your sink, then everything's going to go out all at once. It's usually how it works. And sometimes it feels like it's 17 to 0. But the difference is, if we would understand, when I get up to bat, this score is going to change. When I get up to bat, the score is going to change. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, the Bible says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape, so that ye may be able to bear it. The moment that you get your mind off your pain and you get it on the purpose of why I'm in the middle of it to begin with, it changes everything. Hallelujah. I'm going to let you in on a little secret tonight. The anointing is not something you feel. You just feel. It is something you know. Hear me. The anointing is not something you just feel. It is something you know. Why? Because there are many times in your life where you will feel absolutely nothing. You will go into prayer and it will feel like God's a mile, million miles away. You will go into prayer and you won't feel absolutely anything. There will be times you go to church and you worship and you do all you can and it still feels like God is forever away. They're getting blessed and they're getting blessed and you're sitting there like, I don't feel anything. What's wrong with me? It's in those times you got to know this isn't something I just feel. It's something I know lives inside of me. When I go into my prayer closet and I don't feel anything, it's okay because I know he's faithful. I know he hears me. I know all things work together. I know that he's there. Hallelujah. Lastly, your suffering will bring somebody to salvation. With nails in his hands, blood streaming down his face, a crown of thorns on his head, beat, bruised, battered, carrying his own cross, he turned to the guy next to him and said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And church, you better believe he did that in his pain. Sometimes when your back is against the wall and you have blood streaming down your face, it's the very moment that God will send you into somebody else's life to help and minister to them. The same hand of Paul's in the New Testament that was bit by a snake is the same hand that was laying hands on the sick a couple chapters later. Sometimes when you're hurting the most, you're bleeding, you have to crawl your way through life, is the very moment 
God wants to use you to help somebody else. There's a purpose for it all. I'm going to close with this. If somebody would come to the piano. If you've ever watched, and don't fall out with me, but if you've ever watched a professional football game, there is something that happens in a football game when a play, is, a play has just been done and the ref calls something that it looks like the coaches see differently. Whether it's be they, the refs call a touchdown when they believe the guy was down before he actually made it or, or whether there was a fumble and the, the, the coach seen something else happen. So what the, what the coaches do is when they see something that they don't agree with. I wish I had a red one, but I don't. I meant to bring it and I forgot it. They will pull out what is called a challenge flag and they'll throw it on the field. And when they do, everything stops. The refs go back and they review the play. And they see, did we make the correct call or did we miss something? So everything stops and, and the refs go and look deep. And, and if you've ever watched it, they will play it real slow so they can really see what happened. And then sometimes they come back and say, no, we were right. And there's sometimes they come back and say, the call has been reversed. The coach was right. He didn't score. He was down. The coach was right. There was a fumble on the field. And there's a lot of times that we allow the enemy to do things in our lives and we never once throw a challenge flag on the field. There's a lot of times we allow the enemy to do things to our children, to do things to our finances, to do things to our health, to do things to our family, to do things to our church and our community. And we just sit back and say, well, if it be your will, and we watch and we think, well, this is what we deserve or this is what happens or this is life. Instead of grabbing our challenge flag and throwing it on the field and say, uh-uh, no, not happening. I'm going to reverse this call right here. Yeah, the doctor said this, but I'm throwing a challenge flag. God said by his stripes, I am healed. Yeah, yeah, my children, they're far gone. They are bad off. They are, they are horrible addicts. But nah, I'm throwing a challenge flag. The word said, if I raise them up in the house of the Lord, they will not depart when they get old. Oh, my mind, the enemy's coming, anxiety, my mind, over and over, lie from the devil, lie from the devil. How is this going to happen? Uh-uh. I'm throwing a challenge flag on the field. 
This may be what is happening, and everybody may see this what is happening, but I, I see something different. Because the word says, there is a peace that passes all my understanding. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what situation it is in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But it's about time that we get out the challenge flag and we throw it on the field and we say, hey, I don't see it this way. Hey, I know this is what you just did to my family and this is what you just did to my life and this is what you just did to my mind and my health. But I see a different story. I see a different play. I'm throwing a challenge flag out. We're going to stop what's going on. And I'm going to let you know this is what the word says. Hear me. I preached here last, I don't know, maybe it was March, February of last year. And if you remember, I preached on the God of impossibilities. And I had everybody write on a note card on something that you needed God to move. And I, need, I, had, I had everybody come in, pray over it, and believe on it. That God would do it. Since then, Brother Jarvis, when I would get down to pray and when I would read over and over and over again, I just felt constantly my faith getting stronger and stronger. God can do it. God will do it. God can do it. He will do it. He will move. He will heal. He will. But then, when I was here, if you remember, I told you all to pray for my grandmother. She then was kidney failure. Everything was going wrong. God moved, healed. And then this year, she got sick again, even worse. And I went back to that note card I had folded up, and I believed, and I prayed, and I asked God to move. And then she passed away. And if we're not careful, I threw a challenge flag on the field, Seth, I declared the word of God. I believed God to move. I said, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You are a healer. You can do all things. But sometimes, as I stated earlier, sometimes the refs say the play ain't changing. And sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want it to work out. You might know what I'm talking about. But it's in those times, Brother Jarvis, that I've learned. As I got to the hospital that night, I was the first one there. I lived right next to the hospital. She was doing great that day. Excited, ready to go home. And then something turned real quick. We got the call that she had passed away. I was the first one there. I walked in the room, and there was just a sweet presence of God in there. I walked in, and I grabbed her hand, Brother Gilpin, and I looked up to heaven, and I said, God, you are still faithful. 
And I said these words. I said, the anointing that rested upon my grandmother, I pray as Elisha did to Elijah, a double portion. And the power of God came into that, that hospital room with me and my grandmother. And then I begin to learn again. There is a purpose for your pain. Stand across the house. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. Somebody needs to get in their pocket, get in their purse, theoretically speaking. Get out your challenge flag and throw it on the field and say, not today, no. Your word says this. Your word says, I am an overcomer. Your word says, I am victorious. Your word says, you will not give me more than I can bear. Your word says that all things do work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Some of you need to throw your challenge flag on the field and get your joy back. You need to look at the play that's happened and said, no. He gives me joy unspeakable and full of glory. And this morning, I'm getting it back. It's 1232. You called it right. Cross this house, and I know we got a long day ahead of us. But across this house, if that's you, and you say, Brother Jeremiah, I'm grabbing my challenge flag today and I'm throwing it on the field. He stole my peace, he stole my joy, he's stolen my children. He's stolen my finances. He's stolen my health. I'm throwing my challenge flag on the field today. And I'm saying, no, not anymore. Not anymore. Somebody needs their joy back. Somebody needs their worship back. Somebody needs their song back. Hallelujah. Somebody, as I told the kids at the school last year, somebody needs to worship how they want to worship. Hallelujah. As they play and sing, if that's you, I want to find you in this altar. Come, come stand, come kneel. Whoever you are, wherever you are, come to this front this morning. Say, Brother Jeremiah, I'm throwing my challenge flag on the field. I'm throwing my challenge flag on the field this morning. I don't like that play. I don't like this situation. I don't like these mind battles. I don't like the doctor report. I'm throwing my flag on the field. I'm saying no. It's going to be different today. Come across this house. Whether you kneel at your seat and pray or whether you want to pray up here, I have no preference. But God wants to give somebody their joy back in this house. 
Somebody needs to get their spiritual challenge flag out. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm throwing it on the field, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah.